You are listening to Rav Cook on the Haggadah with Yiska Smith, a podcast series from the Pardes Institute of Jewish Studies. For more original Torah content, visit elmad.pardes.org. Welcome to Jewish Soul Food, providing spiritual food and nourishment to the soul, where we may encounter the divine presence within and perhaps hear the soul's unique, still small voice, Akol Dhamma gently guiding and leading each of us on the sweet path of authentic living. Currently, we are exploring some of Rav Cook's illuminating insights on the Haggadah Shel Pesach. The focus will be on moving from the space of spiritual enslavement to freedom, from a place of scarcity to one of abundance, and from a limited consciousness to an expanded one. Ah, yes, moving from Amochin de Katnut to Amochin de Gadlut. And actually, this is a very current theme in Rav Cook's Perushim on the Haggadah. Moving from the I can't, I won't, but what if, ah, to of course I must, and how, and yes. <laughs> so it's a very different shift in consciousness. Last week, just to bring us up to date from last week, we discussed the two themes of Chirut and Biur Hametz, uh, freedom and the removal of leaven, and the interdependent relationship between the two, and how both of these really are the symbol, they, they really message to us what redemption is. Both, by the way, not just Chirut, but also the Bi'or Chametz, which is why that precedes the Seder. We then discussed the two avenues or the two expressions of Chirut, of liberation. There's the physical, the physical liberation, where that's any type of oppression that subjugates, in, Ra, in the Rav's words, the Tselem Elohim, the divine image of the person, of the human being, any power that would that would demean that. But then he also talked about spiritual chayrut, freedom from anything that would divert the soul from its essential path. And then he explained that these two expressions or forms of chayrut they really come about only with the bi'or chametz, with the removal of the chametz. And we discussed last week, it was based on a Rashi in Masechet Brachot, <clears throat> Tetzayin A, Aleph, page 17a, where Rashi there says that the yeast in the dough, the se'orsha be'isa, which is the chametz, that this represents the yetzaharah, and the Yetzirah, I'd like to spend a minute, even though this is a review, I think it's important that when we talk about the Chametz and the Si'or Sheba Isa, the yeast that's in the dough, how Rashi explains that in the Mesechet Brachot, that we understand the Yetzirah 
I'm inviting you to <clears throat> expand the under, your understanding of the Yetzirah. It's much more than this this inclination inside of me that would incline me to murder someone. <laughs> I mean, that's the evil inclination. Quite frankly, between all of you and me, I've never really had a Yetzirah to, God forbid, murder someone. But I have a Yetzirah. So the Yetzirah speaks in different voices to different people and to the same person at different times in different ways. What the Yetzirah has in common in all of its expressions is according to Hasidut, the word ra, evil, is not a moral judgment. It's surely not a halachach or a Jewish legal judgment. Rather, it's the state of disconnecting, really disconnecting from the, the very Shekhinah inside of me, the very image of God in who I was created. So all of us have this part of us that's what we call today in modern English ego-based. Uh, the Piyasetzna the calls it ha'anuchiyot, the sense of I. And when the I comes before either we or God, or however one looks at that force inside of us, that Selim Alakim, the Kodamamadaka, the Shekhinah, when the ego comes first, it tends to distance us. It tends to cause more of a separation, of a breakage. And that is the voice of the Yitzhahara. Usually, it's very similar to animal behavior that is survival based, it's fear based. And it's also pleasure-seeking based. What it shares in common is it's all about me. It's all about me. And that's why in Hasidut, the chametz is looked at as the agent that causes the bread to rise, but it really doesn't add substance to the bread. The dough is the dough, whether you have chametz in it or not, whether there's yeast in it or not. But it puffs it up. So it's what we would call in English an inflated ego. And we know when we have an inflated ego, it's usually fear-based. There's usually some type of breakage inside. It hampers, it handicaps us from moving into a bigger space, which in fact is the expanded space of the Mochim de Gadlut. So this is why Rav Cook, how I understand and how I was taught, this is one of the reasons why Rav Cook really believes they're, interde- they're interdependent, the Biyar Chameitz with the Chayrut, because it's the Chameitz that really holds us back. Now, on the other hand, Mitzad Sheni, we need Chameitz. 51 weeks out of the year, we are allowed to eat Chameitz. So in of itself, it's not evil, it's just that when we want to really emphasize that moment of liberation, that's not the time and place for chametz. So we see spiritually in the course of a year, there may be moments where spiritually we need to clean ourselves out of our own chametz. Much of this that happens in the physical, or according to Rav Cook, all of this that's happening in the physical is really manifesting a condition 
within us spiritually. So that was the interdependent connection between the chametz and the and the chirut uh, and biur chametz. Then we discussed last week about the necessity, after so many years of galut, to adapt. We actually lehistagel. We need to adapt to this state of chirut this great light of freedom that has shone upon us and within us through periods in Jewish history, which began with the big light that was revealed, the mamash, like a lightning bolt, to quote Zechariah, that shone out upon us and within us, and I want to emphasize within us, during Yitziat Mitzrayim. So, at any given moment, we can relive that. We can re-image that. We can visualize that. But he, he really understands that we need to adapt to that. Just the way, as slaves, we needed to adapt to thinking as free people. It just didn't come with the physical miracles of the ten plagues and the splitting of the sea. What was the first thing that happened after we came out of the sea? The very, very first thing. We were afraid that we didn't have water, and we complained. And I would suggest, instead of, God forbid, judging the B'nai Yisrael, what if you were there, and you're coming into this desert, and there's no water? So the Yitzhakarah, the fear-based behavior, would suggest, Moshe, where is there water? So this... This need to adapt is very present in our history and according to Rav Cook, is very present in our present. So we need to be forgiving to ourselves and each other and compassionate when this just doesn't, like the light switch, when he talks about light, it's not like, ah, the light, the light went on and now I can see. It takes time to move. Then he discussed, uh, towards the end of the class last week, he discussed the difference between a slave and a free person. It's not just one of social standing. It's really a consciousness, because one can be physically enslaved, but spiritually not. And then the opposite. One can be free, but spiritually enslaved. So it all depends, in conclusion, to, to re, in, for our review, it all has to do is what is characteristic? What is characteristic of the content in the person's life? If I am being faithful, and he used the word ne'eman, if I am being faithful to my own inner essence, meaning to the tselem elokim, to the image of God with the, in, that in who I was created, then I am a free person. But if the content of my life, if the tochen of my life is not one of fidelity to my inner self, but rather is defined by either individuals, society, the more rays, he even said it could be legally imposed, like in physical slavery, or culturally imposed. If I use the mores or the values or the decisions or the ideas or the opinions of other people or other philosophies or whatever that may be to decide for me my conception of beauty and good 
then I am a slave because I am enslaving myself to others' definitions over me. And that's basically the review from last week. Does anyone have any questions on what we discussed last week? Um, when I was listening to it, I was really, um, I was, guess I was really intrigued with the, with the discussion about just as you're getting close to making a decision, that's, that's often when you're, you're in this dialogue with yourself. Are you ready? I'm not ready. Are you ready? I'm not ready. Yeah. Yeah. Very yeah. interesting. He says, he says that earlier in, in the beginning of, of the teaching from last week, that um, that this yeast that's in the dough, that just at that moment, when we're beginning to take that new step, into whatever that unknown future in our own life is, that's when that voice creeps up inside of us. Are you sure? Do you really think you can do this? Really? Who do you think you really are? Is life really that bad, after all, that you would feel compelled to expand and that voice, according to Rav Cook, which is the Chametz, is most present just when we're ready for a breakthrough. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and I suggested to every to everyone in the room last week to consider that in your own journeys, whether it's career development, family development, community development, whatever that may be in your everyday life when you're ready to take on something new and you feel compelled, it can be in music, it can be in art, it can be in sports, it could be in literature, it could be in in whatever you're doing in academics. But it's moving into unknown, foreign territory because you feel a deeper voice moving you, inspiring you, pushing you, compelling you. And just before you're ready to do it, there's that voice that says, ah, you know, a mediocre life isn't so bad after all. You don't have to change and be such a big deal. And he, had the, he has the psychological insight, being the Rav he was, to realize about, remember, he's teaching this Erev, or actually not Erev, He's teaching this in the very beginning, even before the sun rises. He uses that metaphor of the rays of the sun are even beginning to shine on the establishment of the state of Israel. He passed away in 1935. He passed away 13 years before the actual Hakamat Medinat Israel. But he already was beginning to see, just like we can see, the beginning rays, Zurichat Hakama, it's called before Netzachama, where you already can begin to see the effects of the sun getting ready to rise. And and that's a very uh, critical point. That's a very, very critical point in anyone's personal journey. So thank you for you know reminding us of that. So he continues, he continues uh, 
by saying the following in reference to this light, to this great light that shone upon us and really has shone within us at various times in Jewish history. And surely it began physically or historically at Yitziat Mitzrayim. He says something here that's so, so relevant to our lives. Okay. And regarding, and we regarding this very inner light, the inner light of our essential freedom. And then he, it's almost like he puts it in brackets. He takes a pasuk from Shemot, from the book of Exodus, Lamed Bet Ted Zion. It's from 32. It's from 32, um, 17, uh, 16. And there, there the, the, the pasuk is as follows. I have to read the whole pasuk for you to understand his take on this, which he brings down from the Masechet Eruvin. You don't have this written down, but you can review it. You know, you see the reference in Shemot Lamed Bet Tet Zion. The, the two tablets, they were the, they were the act of God, the doing of God. And the writing was the writing of God. And then, a very interesting word, that was engraved. Now the Peshat, the simple, or I shouldn't say simple, there's nothing simple about it. The literal meaning, the literal meaning of Harut means to be engraved. So these very words, meaning the Ten Commandments that were engraved on the Luchot, these words are the very words of God. That's basically the Peshat of the Pasuk. But then Rav Cook brings in a, a remark, a teaching from Mesechet Eruvin in the Talmud Eruvin, Nun Dalad Allah, 54 side A, where the rabbis there say, don't read it as charut. Don't read that these are the words of God that are engraved in the stone, in the tablets. Rather, and this is, this is beautiful, rather read it as freedom. In other words, the charut, the words, the very words themselves that's, that's engraved in the tablets are the gateway to our freedom. That's what God was giving us when God gave us the Torah. Yes, the ten, the ten plagues, that was important. Yes, the actual coming out of Mitzrayim, that was important, of course. And yes, of course, the Kriyat Yamsuf, the splitting of the sea, was important. But then we needed, remember, we had seven weeks to get ready for the real for the real gift of freedom. And that was the Torah. So what Rav Cook is teaching us here is that the only real spiritual freedom, it's in support of what he said in the paragraph earlier, the only real freedom that we can ever experience is to live a life that is the life that Hashem has created for each one of us. Now this is... These are the words of the Torah. Of course, how everyone understands that is one's own authentic, true sense of how one understands these words. 
But that's what the rabbis meant when they said, Otherwise, if one doesn't have something greater than oneself, i.e. the Torah, to really guide us to taste freedom, then one is subject to one's own whims, a.k.a. the Yitzhahara, that ego-based, fear-based, or self-centered-based behavior, or the mores of society, or the rule of others over us, which is exactly what the chametz is. So this is why he's saying, regarding this great light that shone upon us and has continued to shine upon us during different tukufot periods in Jewish history, and shines within us, what he says here now, in light of al Harut Elachirut, Nasa Venelech Lahavlit Yoter Vyoter et Atzmuutenu Haraanana Apanimit. It's exquisite. He's saying he's saying there, we shall travel, Nasavanelech, we shall travel and Increasingly, to accentuate, the word lahavlit is to accentuate more and more our own inner lofty independence, atzma'ut. Just like we have in Israel, yoma atzma'ut, Independence Day. But he's talking about one's own inner independence, that this light that we not only need to adjust to, this is the light that we can discover within us to increasingly more and more. This is the gateway to freedom. It increases generation after generation to really rely on this light. This is the light we acquired, how? Through the means of the Shekhinah, of the Divine Presence, revealing herself to us. And again, I'm going to ask you and invite you to look at your own journeys. Whenever you've had, and they don't have to be in quantity a lot, but when you've had moments of, wow, I get it. I get it. I feel something inside of me special. That is it. That's the moment of the Shekhinah revealing herself to you. You can depend on that. Reb Shlomo said, if you have one moment of that in a lifetime, that can nurture your journey for 120 years. This is the liberation. This is the freedom that we acquired through the most amazing wonder ever, ever in the world. Meaning, when the Hebrews, when the Bnei Yisrael, the children of Israel, escaped and came out of Yisiat Mitzrayim, came out of Egypt, that's the prototype that's the model for all freedom. There could be nothing greater of a wonder. He uses the word pella. It's the greatest wonder. So I hope, as Heschel says, spiritual living is to live in radical amazement. 
I hope and I bless all of us that we have moments of radical amazement when we feel this is a wonder that I could even do this, that I can free myself, that I can free myself with everything that has hampered me, that has been those obstacles keeping me back. And that is the revelation of the Shekhinah within yourself. When you've touched, when you've touched something so much bigger, and that is the sense of God dwelling within you. At that moment, when when God, may he be blessed, redeemed us, and when he redeemed our forefathers to be free, to be liberated, forever. This was not a one chapter in our history. This was meant to be, we always live as free people. Which, to conclude last week's text, because this is a continuation, this is exactly what he says in the next paragraph. You can just picture him, try to visualize him in the room. Come now, my brothers, and I may add, and sisters. El haseder kulanu to our seder. As we sit down to our seder. Yivadalanu, may it be known to us, Shehinenu, that behold, who are we? B'nei Malachim. Remember that, Chevra. Remember who we really are. We are children of royalty. We're B'nei Malachim. Va'am shehachirut hi go'alo hanitzchi. And that our being free is our eternal portion. This is our portion of freedom that is to be nitzchi, eternal. That's why it's the greatest pella. It's the greatest wonder. This was the gift God gave us through the luchot al tegrecharut el acherut. Lo avde Yisrael, lo eved Yisrael, v'lo yalid bayat, v'lo yiyei labuz, that a Jew should not be a slave. A Jew is not supposed to be a slave, nor what's called a yalid bayat is a uh, like a houseboy, like a a um, a kind of version of a slave. <laughs> That's a yalid, yalid bayat. V'lo yelabuz, and none of us should ever be, God forbid, the source of contempt or mockery or disgrace or scorn. We're b'nei malachim. We are royalty. The children of a king are royalty themselves. I mean, can you just hear him say this? This is what the Seder of Pesach is about. To make known, to make known to us we are not slaves. We are free. This is our eternal goral, our eternal portion, our chilek. Then let us hold aloft. Nasa is to, to hold, 
to, to hold um, Barama in a very high way from that very day, from that Chag of Cherutenu, may we hold that up. And how shall we hold that up? At, and you can, again, this is another whisper, another shade, another ray of the sun shining before the sun rises. At Degel HaCherut, the flag of our freedom. It's, it's just so beautiful the way he intertwines his Zionism with his Hasidut, with history. It's so multi-layered. We say in Hebrew, Zemamash Morkav, Yesh Morkavut. There's such a complexity to one word here. The Degel is our banner. It's our flag of freedom. And what else shall we hold aloft? He goes right back to what he said in the beginning of the teaching. What do we always have to hold aloft? The miracle of being able to remove chametz from ourselves. This is how we built, this is how we established Medinat Yisrael in 1948. We had to give ourselves over as a nation to something much bigger than our own individual comfort, our own individual need to survive. So the, the motif here is layered with meaning. And of course, all of us have within us our own degel, our own flag of freedom. How you express your freedom is your degel. And how you go about that is how you remove your own chametz. So it's very layered. It's very layered. That's the beauty of Rav Cook's teachings. Asher yavo'u kamayim, and then he, there's a, a pasuk in Tehillim, he quotes this pasuk from Tehillim, and the words are as follows, kamayim b'kirbenu ukeshem ba'atzmotenu, like water, meaning that it flows within us, and oil, oil is always used, oil and wine are always allusions to the two liquids that were used in the Beit HaMikdash. So oil is what gives rise to light, the oil lit up the menorah, the Shemen Zayat. So we have, this, we have this oil running through us, this light in us, and this water that's just, everything's flowing. You can just hear the, po- the, the poet here, the Rav Cook the poet. Ayyadeh Koach, through means of the strength, Ha'itanim shel ha'mifal ha'kadosh ve'ne'aman, to the strength of the deed of what? The sanctity and the faithfulness. This will come about, Chevra. Our freedom will always come about through, again, our being faithful to ourselves and then to our nation. Through our fulfilling the word of God, the Redeemer of Israel, forever. And specifically, what word is that? Asher Tzivanu. For he has commanded us in the book of Shemot, Yud Bet Yud Zion, twelve seventeen. What did Hashem command us? Lishmor etamatzot. Now the word lishmor can either mean to observe, like if someone anisha merit Shabbat. So I'm I'm Shomer Shabbat. We have the phrase we even say it in English. I'm Shomer Shabbat, meaning I observe Shabbat. So that's the pshat that I observe Shabbat. But the pasuk also means not only lishmo et 
not only to observe the holiday of the Matzot, but to guard, to protect. We have what's called Shmirah. We have it in modern Hebrew in different communities, especially in Shomon and Yehuda, the different Yeshuvim, the different communities that are in Shomon, Judea, and Samaria. Uh, I, I went on a retreat last Shabbat right here in the Galil to Kibbutz Chanaton, and there's a gate. There's a gate there, and it's Shabbat. No one can gain entry unless someone comes to meet you. So there's a Shmirah. Even even on a kibbutz here in what's called the Green Line. So what Rav Cook is saying, how can we do this? How can we really remain faithful by fulfilling the word of God? And what's that word of God? To guard. To guard the matzot. To guard, to protect your own matzot, meaning that which is without leaven inside of you. Be your own shomer and shomeret. And then he, he finishes, he completes it by saying, shamru et achirut v'et b'yorchametz. Guard, protect, protect your freedom and the removal of your chametz. V'higalanu, and then may we be redeemed quickly for the complete redemption. So that's Rav Cook's suggested teaching on the interdependency between Chayrut and Biyor Chametz. Okay, before we continue with our First step of the Seder. Are there any questions? Are there any questions, reflections, insights regarding this last part of the teaching of Chirut and Biur Hamitz? I have a, a question that sort of goes back to the reading before this and what Susan was talking about. So it's not exactly relevant to this last one. Can I ask that question now? Please, please. It's obviously it's obviously on your mind. So please share it with us. Um, it has to do with this, you know, the point at which you can take the risk and leap into something ahead ahead. And I can I can imagine a situation where maybe that seems to be a path in front of you or in front of me. And then the the question is whether to take that leap and one of the questions I have is the discernment that that leap is taken in the interest of growth and but guarding yourself in terms of not letting the ego actually advance that leap, maybe letting the, you know your humility continue as a companion along your side. 
<clears throat> and so the question is, how, that discernment, that point of discernment, is, is it's, it's very challenging, I think. Yes. yes. Hold on one minute. Okay. Okay. I'm going to read you a quote. It's actually at the end of my book. It's the very first quote in my section, Sources of Inspiration for Living a Life of Authenticity. Actually, before I read the quote, this is why we had to leave in haste. What's, what's the common reason we had to leave in haste? Oh, we ate, we ate, we eat matzah because the dough didn't have time to rise because we left in haste. Well, the common reason was because the Egyptians were chasing us and we had to get out, isn't it? Well, they weren't chasing us at that moment. When we sat down to eat, their firstborn were being, were dying. And we sat down, according to the Pesukim, we sat down dressed, ready to leave. Instead of like when when someone comes to your home for Shabbat, you know, when they come in, oh, take your coat off, make yourself at home, we have a nice Shabbat meal ahead of us, a nice long Seder ahead of us. This meal was anything but a nice long Seder. We ate it quickly, ready to leave, ready to go. Because... We may have thought better of the decision to leave. And God knows us because God created us. So sometimes we need to make that leap of faith and not overthink it. If we would have overthought it, which goes back to the yeast, it goes back to the chametz, goes back to the ego, goes back to the fear-based behavior, what would have happened symbolically by the dough rising? We would have said, you know, maybe maybe it's not such a good idea to leave after all, and all those doubts would have crept up. So when we feel compelled to jump, jump. <laughs> or, in the words of Anais Nin, and then the day came when the risk to remain tight in a bud was more painful than the risk it took to blossom. It's a risk. It is a risk to declare your independence, to move forward from a limited space to an expanded space. It's a risk. There are no guarantees. That's the wonder of it. If there were guarantees, then it wouldn't be declaring one's own sense of independence. So there's no real answer other than perhaps when you feel you can't, it's, it's unacceptable for you to go to sleep at night and protect Shomer, to protect your own integrity, your own faithfulness, to whom you believe you were meant to be when God created you. When not doing that becomes more painful than the risk to actually explore that, that's when you'll do it. 
Thank you. Okay. Beautiful. So that brings us to Kadesh. Now I've made a, a I guess a learning facilitator's decision to provide the text only in English. And I did this with Kavana, and I really had to meditate on this and really it was not easy because I personally, the ego in me, I love reading the Hebrew and sharing that with you. But we have, after this class, we only have eight more classes and we have 15 steps. And Rob Cook, as you could see, his Hebrew is so exquisite. It's poetic. It's dense. It's, it's, it's filled with layers and layers of meaning. So I made a choice for us and I hope it... Uh, it finds a good place in all of your hearts to really explore this in the English. And at times I'll use a Hebrew term. But our, our, one of our goals is to be able to sit down to the Seder and really be able to share from a sense of preparation whatever it is we're doing at our Seder. And we could just talk about Chirut and Biur Hametz for the next 10 classes without a problem. I mean, I just shared with you a tipa, a drop, from Rav Cook's Perushim. So, let's move into the English, into Kadesh. Now, before we read, does anyone know what Kadesh literally means? The word Kadesh. Holy, sanctified. Well, to, say, to sanctify, yes, not holy, that's Kodesh or Kadosh. Kadesh is a verb. It's a command form. And it means sanctify. To sanctify. Le Kadesh. Like Le Daber. We say, so Kadesh. So the first step of the Seder is a command. Sanctify. So the two questions are, in Hebrew, not only is Hebrew gender definitive, but it's also the word you in English, Y-O-U, which you can use in the singular and in the plural, does not exist in Hebrew. In Hebrew, the verb form of commanding the individual to sanctify is kadesh. However, to command a group, it would be kachu. All of you sanctify. So the first question is, why isn't this in the plural? Why isn't this in the plural? And it's based on another question. What is being sanctified here? Think back every week when we make Kiddush on Shabbat. And when we make the, the, the Kiddush on Pesach, on Shavuot, on, on Sukkot, on Rosh Hashanah. What is it that we're sanctifying? Does anyone remember? What, what is it we're calling to attention that's special, that's unique, Redemption from slavery. Excuse me? So the redemption, redemption from slavery in Egypt. Well, that is specific to, yes, there's an event. And the event occurred, Yitziat Mitzrayim, which we refer to in Kiddush, at a specific time. So what we're really sanctifying is time. 
That's really what's been Zman Cherutenu, Zman Matan Toratenu. We, we even have these references in the Kiddush to the different times and now even to Filah. So what's being sanctified here is a moment in time. Heschel talks about this in his book, The Sabbath, that except for Har Habayit, except for the Temple Mount, the Jewish people don't have a history of sanctifying space. Rather, we have a history of sanctifying time. And we receive that capacity or that wherewithal, that knowledge from a commandment, the very first mitzvah that was commanded to all of us as a people was on Rosh Chodesh Nisan, two weeks and a day before we actually came out of Egypt. And that's the Zman, that, that's the Kiddush HaChodesh, the sanctification of the month. We were given a command. So the question that Rav Cook is saying is when we were given the command, the command was given to all of B'nai Yisrael in the plural. So why is the command on the Seder night in the singular? It should be Katshu. All of you received the command to sanctify time. All of you now, the first step in becoming free, since this all began right before we came out of Egypt, then all of you as a nation are commanded to sanctify time with the very first step of your own Seder. Why is it in the singular? So this is what he says. Here we go. The word Kadesh, sanctify, is in the singular and not Kadshu, in the plural. The lesson, (coughs) Rav Kook says, the lesson to be derived from this grammatical form is that though Kiddush Hazman, sanctification of time, is a collective event, on the part of the Jewish people, nevertheless, the individual is not obliterated in the collective. So let's refer back to the actual pasuk in Shemot, Yud Bet Aleph, the very first verse in chapter 12. V'yome Hashem el Moshe v'el Aharon be'eretz Mitzrayim le'moa. And Hashem said to Moses and to Aharon, in the land of Egypt. HaChodesh Hazeh Lachem. And that's in second person plural. This month will be for you, all of you, Rosh Chadashim, the head of the months, meaning the first month of the year. Rishon Hu Lachem. It will be the first for all of you, Lachadsheh Hashanah. For the months of the year. So that's the proof text that we were introduced to the concept of Kiddush Zman in the plural. And yet Rav Cook wants to learn out, notwithstanding that we as a nation know when to sanctify different moments, we know that collectively. That's our collective narrative. However, how we sanctify that and just how we sanctify our own time is in the singular. Exquisite. Let, let, let us continue. Rather, each individual contributes a unique dimension. 
Israel is not similar to a totalitarian regime where the individual becomes subjected, subjugated to the collective. On the night of this, remember, coming into this night of Pesach, we were in fact subjugated to the collective. A slave population does not experience this freedom of independent, unique inquiry and expression. There is no Kiddush Zman for a slave. Well, according to Rav Cook, one can be physically enslaved and one can be spiritually free. But looking at it from the Pshat, the slave culture is one that obliterates, one that strives to obliterate any sense of the individual. I mean, really, where do we see it in our own history in the most, oh, most poignant, poignant, heartbreaking expression when people during the Shoah, during the Holocaust, no longer had a name. To the Germans, they just had a number. And if the person before you was tattooed, you know, whatever the number was, your number would be the next number. I mean, that's an extreme example, but that's an, that, that illustrates the point. Here he's saying Israel is not similar to that. That is not our destiny to be subjugated to the collective. On the night of this festival, which is the foundation of all of Hashem's appointed times, because that became the first month of all the months. So for the rest of the Torah, any time Hashem referenced a holiday, it was in reference to a cer- certain date in a specific month re- um, relative to Nisan being the first month. Each member, this is part of our freedom, Hevra. each member of Israel has the ability to bestow upon the day his or her very own dimension of sanctity. This is the command of Kadesh. Yes, it's the same Kiddush that everyone makes at the Seder, but how you are going about it spiritually, that's you. No one else. No one else makes Kiddush the way I make Kiddush and the way each of you make Kiddush. Hence, we even have a minhag, (coughs) unlike on Shabbat and the other holidays. It's the minhag of many people that one particular person, usually the Baal Habayat, the head of the house, the Baalat Habayat, makes Kiddush for everybody. And many times people will say... I would like to make my own Kiddush, or the host will invite people. If you want to make your own Kiddush, please feel free to make your own Kiddush. On Pesach, though, we all have a full kos as our first of the four kosot, and we all make Kiddush ourselves. Because it's Kadesh. It's Kadesh. Hashem is inviting us into this relationship where each one of us is both commanded and allowed as a free person to sanctify our own time in the way we believe is appropriate for whoever we are supposed to be.
Each member of Israel now has the ability to bestow upon the day his or her very own dimension of sanctity. This individuality, this is part and parcel of our entire emancipation, of our Yitziyat Mitzrayim. This is what it means to be a free person. Reminiscent of what we learned last week, of being a spiritually free person. Each individual Jew is called upon to recognize the worth, the erech, the erech of one's own contribution. I invite you into this space that Rav Cook is providing for us to prepare over the next couple of months leading up to the Seder. to prepare your own recognition that either you may want to share or keep for yourself the worth, your own self-worth of your own contribution to Kiddush Zaman, to the sanctification of time. Every morning we wake up and some of us have the tradition of saying Modeh or Moda'ani. For what? For what? What are we thankful for? That God has returned to us, Shehechazata bin Nishmati? And we say that God's faith in us is great. To take that day, to take that moment, and live it. Live it as a free person. Remember what Rav Cook says this is our Goral Nitzchi. Try to remember, I would invite you to pick out key Hebrew terms here. This is our eternal lot. Our lot is not to be persecuted, not to be victims. Rav Cook stands up and says, no, our lot is to be free people. (sighs) Yeah. So we'll end on this note. Contemplate on this. Meditate on this. We'll finish it next week with another commentary from Rabbi Tzadok Kohen of Lublin who preceded Rav Kook. But we believe that Rav Kook was aware of this teaching. And let's just hold ourselves this week. Let's be mindful if we can. I really invite you into that space of mindful living, of living mudaut, with kavana, with awareness of your own time, that you are free to choose how to sanctify it. And let this be the very first step. We have several more to discover over the next several weeks. But this right here, this is the essential first step once we've removed the chametz, is to sanctify our own sense of time. So thank you. Thank you very much. So in conclusion, do you have any questions, reflections, insights on your own individual command to Kadesh, sanctify your time?
just got this. This is kind of a uh, very basic question. <laughs> I um, like when you say that. Get ready. <laughs> basic to me. But I, I mean, actually, it's a very simple question. Could you elaborate on the on the definition of sanctify for me? Oh, let's begin next week's class with that. Yes. I'm so glad someone asked that. I was because hoping someone would. It's. I think it's deeper than what my idea of it might be. I agree. Okay? So your homework assignment, I'm giving everyone a homework assignment, and those who are listening uh, all over the world, it's also your homework assignment, that between now, if you will readily accept it upon yourselves, over the next week, jot down, in the course of a week, what you believe sanctify means. What that looks like for you. And to clarify, in my journey, it's anything but basic. Okay. It's anything but basic. <laughs> yes, it's what we're here for. It's what we're here for. We'll, yeah, we shall begin next week. With God's help, that we all are here next week. We will begin next week's class with, what does it mean to sanctify? Yes. But come, come with your own ideas. Come with your own little notes. Thank you. Okay. Thank you all. Thank you all. Kol Thank you for downloading this podcast. For more original Torah content, visit almad.pardes.org.